I greet you each this morning in the worthy name of Jesus. It is good to be with you again this morning. I want to begin the message this morning by making a confession. Now before I make my confession, I want to give you a proper definition of the word confession as it is used in Scripture, different places. Normally when we think of the word confession, we think of an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. And that is certainly a proper use of the word confession. But there's another way that this word is used, and that is this. To declare openly by way of speaking out freely, such confession being the effect of deep conviction of facts. That's another way that the word confession is used in the scripture. There's a, just quickly before I make my confession, a passage that demonstrates this type of confession is Hebrews 11, verse 13. You all know what's in Hebrews 11, the passage of the heroes of faith, these tremendous men and women who are willing to give everything they had down to their very life for the cause of God and the gospel. And Hebrews 11, verse 13 says this, speaking of these heroes, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That was the confession they made. They were strangers and they were pilgrims. And then the next verse says this, and they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. So these heroes of faith spoke out freely and said, We are strangers here. We are pilgrims. We don't belong here. And that confession changed everything about their life. It changed what they were passionate about. It changed how they conducted their business. It changed how they raised their family. It changed how they treated their neighbors. It changed how they reacted when someone treated them wrongly. It changed everything about their life. They were strangers and pilgrims. And they freely confessed that. They had a deep-seated conviction, and they confessed freely and openly, I am a stranger, I am a pilgrim. And for many of them, it meant giving their lives for that confession. So that's the confession I'm referring to this morning. And the confession that I want to make is this. I am a servant of God. I am a servant of God. And that's the title for the message this morning. I am a servant of God. Now, this may strike you as somewhat arrogant for me to stand up here and say, I am a servant of God. But I don't want you to think about it that way this morning. Don't look at me and say, there is a servant of God, but rather make this confession personal to you and say with me, I am a servant of God. So the purpose of this message is to both remind you and challenge you That if God has saved you from sin, then God has called you to serve. And we don't serve God because he needs us. But rather we serve God because he saved us. If Jesus is your savior, he must also be your Lord. And serving him is not a burden, but it's a privilege. Amen? Turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 1. 
Ezekiel chapter 1, this passage that I'm going to be looking at this morning follows right on the heels of our Sunday school lesson. I believe, now maybe there's a historian here that, that will tell me I'm wrong, but I believe that, that this book was written while the children of Israel were in captivity. If you look at the first three verses, God came to Ezekiel. It says, Ezekiel was among the captives by the river of Kabar, and he was in the land of Chaldeans, if you look in verse 3. So that's, that's the setting that, that this was given in. So the, the, Israel was in captivity because of what we heard about this morning. And God called Ezekiel to be a servant. God called Ezekiel to the very difficult task of being a watchman and going to a people that were rebellious, that were impudent, that were stiff-hearted, and yet God said go. And so I want to look at Ezekiel's life this morning as an example and a challenge for us today. And I broke the message down into three parts. I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. Number one, the servant's posture. Number two, the servant's perspective. And number three, the servant's provisions. So the first point is the servant's posture. And I want to begin by reading chapter 1, starting with verse 26. I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 5. Ezekiel 1, verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Chapter 2. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet sh shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. Now these verses that I started reading at the end of chapter 1 is breaking in to the last part of the vision that God gave Ezekiel. If you read the entire chapter, you see this vision God gave Ezekiel, and we're going to look at the first part in my next point. But in this part of the vision, God shows Ezekiel a throne. And on this throne, there was a man sitting there. 
And as Ezekiel attempts to describe what he saw, it, you get the feeling that he, there's really no way for him to convey to us what he saw. Because throughout these verses, you keep reading things like, as the appearance of, and as the likeness of, and as the color of. And so he's trying to put it in our language, put it in a way that we can understand, but he can. It's too, too wonderful, too glorious for him to put into our language. But the best way is there's a throne with a man on it. And around the throne, there's fire and there's, there's a rainbow and there's light and there's beauty and there's splendor. It's this magnificent scene of this throne with a man on it. So what was Ezekiel seeing? Well, verse 28, Ezekiel tells us exactly what this was. He says this, This was the appearance of of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So Ezekiel saw God sitting on his throne. He saw God in all his splendor. He saw God in his majesty. That's what he saw. And then notice the next phrase in verse 28, how he responds to that experience. It says this, And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. And that's the servant's posture that I want to challenge you with. Ezekiel experiencing God, seeing God sitting on his throne, and he responds by falling on his face. Now, tell me, this picture of Ezekiel on his face before God, what does that represent to you? What, is, what does that tell you? What's some things that represents? Mm-hmm. Sincere worship. Humility. Humility. Acknowledgement of superiority. Mm-hmm. Which would go right along with worship. But yeah. I put brokenness, surrender, submission. Now, does God require these things of his people today? The answer is yes. If God is going to use us to serve in his kingdom, that is the posture that we must have. Falling on our face before God, humbling ourselves before God, worshiping God, recognizing God for who he is, recognizing myself for who I am, and just simply giving myself to him. So what can God do with a man or a woman like that? The next phrase in verse 28 says, And I heard a voice of one that spake. So God is now ready to use Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw a glimpse of God. And he responds in worship. He responds in humility. And God is now ready to use him. And so God takes this man and he calls him into a life of service. If you go down to chapter 2, you see God's message to Ezekiel. Verse 3 says this, And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel. A call to a life of service to this 
humble, broken man. And I believe that, that this picture here of Ezekiel on his face before God symbolizes what must take place in each of our life. God doesn't want a proud-hearted servant. God doesn't want a hard-headed servant. God doesn't want a rebellious servant. God wants a servant who recognizes his unworthiness. A servant who recognizes the awesomeness of God and simply, whether literally or figuratively, falls on his face before God, giving himself completely to God. God, I'm undone. I'm yours. Do with me what you will. Just like Saul on the road to Emmaus, he saw God. And how did he respond? He fell on his face and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? There's, that, that's one example in Scripture. There's many, many other examples in Scripture we could look at where this exact thing takes place. Someone gets a glimpse of God, and they respond the way Ezekiel did, and God immediately calls them into service. I'm going to look at just two examples, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. The one in the Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 6. This is a very familiar account where... Isaiah 6 verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Isaiah got a glimpse of God. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And then you jump to verse 5, and you see Isaiah's response to this. Isaiah said, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he saw a glimpse of God and he realized who he was. He realized his standing before God and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. And then you go to verse 8, and God speaks to Isaiah and says this, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he, God, said, go. Go and tell this people. God called this man into a life of service. Going to the New Testament then. This is in Luke chapter 5. This is the account of Peter, uh, Jesus calling Peter to be his disciple. And I'm not going to read much of this account. But in Luke chapter 5, Peter was fishing, Jesus came, and he, and he got in the boat, and he told Peter, he said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, but now I, I skipped a step. Before he told Peter that, he had gotten in the boat and preached to the multitudes. He had preached to the multitudes, Peter heard that, and then Jesus told him, let's go out and go fishing. Let's let down your nets. And Peter responded, he said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. So that's what they did, and you know the story. They caught so many fish that their nets began to break. And so you see here, Peter heard Jesus preaching. He saw this miracle, so he gets a glimpse of the glory of God. He gets a glimpse of who God is through Jesus And here's how he responds. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See that? 
He sees a glimpse of God and he responds in humility. He responds in brokenness, in worship of, of this higher power of God. So then how does Jesus respond to this broken man? Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Jesus takes this man and calls him into a life of service. And then if you read on, Peter brings his ship to land, and it doesn't say that they went and told their families goodbye. It doesn't say that they got their house in order. It says they brought their ship to land, forsook all, and followed him. A beautiful picture of someone recognizing their unworthiness before God, their undoneness before God, and God calls that person into a life of service. And again, for us today, I believe that the same thing needs to take place. As we get a glimpse of who God truly is, and we respond to that in humility and in worship and in surrender, God can then speak to us. And when that happens, he will always call us to a life of service in his kingdom. So maybe you're thinking, well, yes, but God doesn't reveal himself like that today. I've never seen a vision like Ezekiel saw. I've never seen these miracles Jesus did like Peter saw. But that's not right. God does reveal himself to us today. A couple verses. First two are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5 says this, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So, so the, the very God that spoke light into existence has now shined that light into our hearts, New Testament believers, to give us a knowledge of the glory of God. How does he do that? It says this, in the face of Jesus Christ. Through the Son of God, through Jesus, we get a glimpse of the glory of God. When we see ourselves as wretched sinners, separated from God, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. How? With Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. How? Through Christ Jesus. So God has revealed his glory to us today through Christ Jesus. That's how he has done it. Several more verses. Uh, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Speaking of Jesus. And then verse 14 says, And the Word, Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, Jesus 
is the one that reveals the glory of the Father to us today. And when we we humbly accept this reality and fall before God in complete brokenness, in complete surrender, God will call us to a life of service. So that's the first point. The second point then I want to look at is the servant's perspective. So we looked at the last part of Ezekiel's vision here in chapter 1 where God reveals his glory to Ezekiel. I want to go now to the first part of the vision where God gives Ezekiel some perspective. In the first part of this vision, and I'm not going to read all these verses, but in this vision, God shows Ezekiel four living creatures. And these were creatures of God. These were creatures that God used to fulfill his purposes. And just a few verses to point out what these creatures were like. It says this, if you're, if you're there in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 5. Also, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings. And then jump to verse 10, where Ezekiel describes their faces. He says this, As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. So, four creatures, each of them had four heads. Each of the heads represented something different. Then go to verse 12. It says this, And they, these creatures, went, everyone straight forward, whither the Spirit was to go, they went. And they turned not when they went. Now go to verse 14. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And then one other verse, you don't have to turn to this, but in Revelation chapter 4, we have a glimpse of what I believe are these creatures again. These creatures show up again in Revelation 4. And it says this, verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So to summarize what we just one over there, these four creatures, four heads, and I don't know which of the, what all these heads symbolize, but you have the head of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle, and I think they symbolize something, maybe intellect, strength, um, I don't know, I don't know what all. But it says, they went whither the Spirit was to go. When God directed them, they went. And they went, it said, as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And so, boom, they were there, right there. And then in Revelation it said, they rest not day and night, and they continually offer praise to God. So that's a little glimpse of these creatures that Ezekiel saw. Now, I don't profess to know exactly what this means, but something occurred to me one day as I was pondering this vision and these verses. As you think about these creatures, God had everything he needed 
to accomplish His will in these creatures. They could do so much more than a man could do. And yet, God took Ezekiel, showed him these creatures, and then said, Son of man, I send thee. And imagine how Ezekiel must have felt. He had just seen these creatures that could do all these things. God had them at his disposal, and yet God took Ezekiel and said, Son of man, frail, finite, fragile son of man, I send you. And it just occurred to me that God didn't need Ezekiel. And yet God called Ezekiel. And God wanted to use Ezekiel, this, this mere man. And if you go through the book of Ezekiel, I, I can't say this for sure. I haven't actually went and looked in every instance, but I think every time God addresses Ezekiel, he refers to him as son of man. There's 93 times throughout this book where God calls Ezekiel son of man. And I can just imagine that every time Ezekiel heard that, he remembered who he was. I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm the son of a man. I'm, I'm really nothing. God doesn't need me, and yet God wants me. God's called me. God's using me to carry out his purposes, to fulfill his purposes. Ezekiel was nothing compared to these creatures. He had no talents compared to these creatures. He had no abilities compared to these creatures. And yet God called Ezekiel and said, I send you. So, brothers and sisters, God could accomplish his will without you. He really doesn't need you. And yet God is pleading with you and with I and with me to serve him. God wants me. God wants you to carry out his purposes, to build his kingdom. What a privilege. What an honor. How, how humbling that is to think that God could do without me, and yet God calls me, and God calls you. Are you willing to fall before God and say, here I am, send me. Whatever you want, God, I'm surrendered to you. God gave Ezekiel this proper perspective. He showed him what he really had, but then he took Ezekiel and said, I'm going to use you to carry out my will. The third point then, the servant's provisions. If you're like me, you find that serving in God's kingdom is rewarding, but it is also, it also can be very overwhelming. Ezekiel felt the same way. If you go to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, after God had given Ezekiel his assignment, we read this of Ezekiel, and I'm going to read it out of the NIV. I like how it says it in the NIV. It says this, 
chapter 3, verse 14. Then the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Abib near the Kabar River, and there, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, overwhelmed. That's how the NIV says it. I sat there for seven days, overwhelmed. Ezekiel was was just a typical person. The call of God on his life was heavy to him. It was, it, was a, it was a tremendous burden to him. And yet he had seen God. And he saw who he was before God. And so he went. In spite of the overwhelming feeling that came over him. I can attest that no matter how discouraged. And no matter how overwhelmed I may feel at times in God's service. God has always been faithful to supply everything I need and to fulfill the task that he's called me to. If we would continue to read through Ezekiel, we would see that the call of God on Ezekiel's life meant some very difficult things for him. Verse 3 of chapter 2 God tells Ezekiel immediately after he gives him this charge, he says, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this day. And there's five times in verses 3 through 8 where God calls the people that he's sending Ezekiel to, he calls them a rebellious people. I'm sending you to a rebellious people. He calls them an impudent people. He calls them a stiff-hearted people. He compares them to scorpions. But he calls Ezekiel to go anyway. Go and preach my word to them. Go and tell them what I want them to hear. And as difficult as it was for Ezekiel to be faithful to God's call, he went and God always provided what he needed. Verse 2 of chapter 2. God put within Ezekiel his spirit and gave Ezekiel the ability to hear and understand the voice of God. It says this, Ezekiel 2, verses 1 and 2, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. So we understand that this is the Old Testament And God's people had not been given the Holy Spirit as we know it today. And yet, the Spirit of God was still a part of the Trinity of God. It was still present in creation. And God still poured out His Spirit at times on His people to give Him the power and the the words that they needed to fulfill the tasks they were given. And He did that for Ezekiel. And He's promised that for us today that God will give us His Spirit to give us what we need to fulfill our task. God gave Ezekiel His Word. If you read on in chapter 2, before God sent Ezekiel to Israel to preach this Word, God gave Ezekiel a scroll. And He told Ezekiel, eat this scroll. And Ezekiel ate the scroll. 
This is in chapter 2, uh, verse 8, is where it starts, and it goes all the way to, into chapter 3. But he ate this scroll, and I believe that the scroll represented the Word of God. And Ezekiel took that in to himself. He took God's Word into his life. And if you continue to read through Ezekiel, there's over and over you'll see this phrase, And the word of the Lord came unto me. And the word of the Lord came unto me again. And it's something like 43 times that we see this phrase throughout the book of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came unto me. And so over and over, God spoke to Ezekiel. God gave him his word so that he knew what to say to this rebellious people. So again, God gave Ezekiel all that he needed in order to fulfill his calling in life. And I believe that he will do the same for us today. I can attest to that in my life, and I trust that you can too. If we are faithful to the call of God, he will be faithful to us. As we yield our life in service to God, we're not promised ease and comfort, but we are promised that our God shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. So I ask you this morning, have you truly experienced God? And understand, I'm not talking about a radical experience like Ezekiel had. I'm talking about when we come to understand our fallen condition before God. We have inherited the Adamic nature, the sin nature, and we have sinned. Two different things. We have a sin nature and we have sinned. And our sin, not Adam's sin, but our sin separates us from God. And in and of ourself, there's no way that we can be reconciled to God. There's no way. We can try 101 different ways, but there's no way. But God and I read these verses earlier, I'll read a few of them again, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's the picture of the glory of God. That God loved us so much that he didn't leave us in that fallen state. He sent a redeemer. He sent his son. We're not worthy to come before him. And yet he loved us so much. He had mercy on us so much that he sent his son as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we can be redeemed. That we can be forgiven. So what's our response? to this incredible reality. I think too often we say, yes, God, I'll give you my heart. And that's good. But God wants your life. Someone told me a while back that Jesus never asked anyone for their heart. He always asked for their life. Or maybe we'll say, God, I'll give you some time. You know, maybe I'll give you a year or two in V.S., but God wants your life. 
Or maybe we'll say, yes, God, I'll serve you once I get my business up and running or once I get my debts paid off or once I have my retirement in place. But God wants your life and he wants it now. And so I challenge you this morning, if God has done anything for you, what are you willing to give for him? God is calling me and God is calling you to a life of service in his kingdom. I am a servant of God and I'm not going to make excuses about my inabilities. And I'm not going to give God just a few years of my life. And I'm not going to try to convince God that someone else would do it better. I'm going to give God my life. I'm his servant. I'm going to commit my life in service for the kingdom of God. I am his servant. We have been redeemed. Our ransom was paid by the blood of Jesus. And when we get a hold of this reality, a lifetime of service will not be a burden, but rather it will be an appropriate response. We've been delivered from eternal damnation. We've been grafted into the family of God. Why should we not give our life in service to our master? And I believe that if we truly would get a glimpse of the glory of God, if we would truly understand that, then after a lifetime of service to him, Our response to him would still be, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And yet, God, when we stand before him at the last day, will take this unworthy servant, and he'll take us by the hand, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And I can't think of more beautiful words to hear after a lifetime of service to our master. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus, the one who loves me, the one who salvaged me, the one who redeemed me. I'm not worthy to serve him. The only thing of any value that I may have to offer him is my life. I am a servant and I will give my life in service to my master. And I trust that that is the confession of each of you this morning. Shall we have a song?